time working at home, managing a very different agenda. How about you? How are you doing? Yes, well, I'm struggling to master technology, but actually I think I've learned more in the last couple of days than in the <laughs> previous 20 years. And uh, um, I'm, I'm not quite as much of a dinosaur. Um, so um, what do you think, uh, Graham, what do you think the greatest threats to the shipping industry are these days, putting, especially given the situation we're in now? Well, yeah, first and foremost in all our minds at the moment is this uh, COVID-19. We're facing challenging times as a society and a sector. I know that many people across the shipping industry will be grappling with the difficult circumstances or perhaps even unable to return to their families uh, given the travel restrictions. The safety and, uh, dare I say, the mental health of our teams is more critical than ever. I think it's too early to understand the longer term impact, but for sure the next five years is going to remain critical for responding to the challenges of decarbonisation. For me, the greatest threat to the shipping industry is doing nothing. This will mean an industry out of step with the Paris Agreement and the wider society. Decarbonisation will require us to develop new fuels and technologies but we must also take practical steps now to reduce the CO2 emissions in our energy mix. What do you think, Michael? Yes, I think I agree. I mean, I think the, hopefully this is a short and uh, a short three month, maybe I think if you look at the financial markets, I think it'll be a bit longer than that and clearly there will, will be an impact. But I think once we get through this, I think it's important that uh, we don't stop the pace of change that was already happening. And I, I fear that on the basis of trying to recoup some of the revenue lost, there'll be a lot of cost cutting that will go on, which I think will be unfortunate. But it may be that actually the need to come together globally in a way to solve a problem like a virus will actually promote something like climate change. So I think maybe it's also an opportunity. And I think, it's, I, think I agree with you totally. I think one of the important things is the shipping industry should use that to advance its cause and what it does and the services it provides to society even more, but also by sharing it can really start adapting and, and making changes. Um, I mean, there is clearly a risk to shipping in the sense that people learn to behave differently. They consume less, there are various other potential consequences of a crisis like this. Um, but I think it also, um, one of the good things for the industry at this time when facing a crisis like this and the knock-on economic shock is the um, fact that there isn't a huge overhang of supply about to hit the water. So the problems of the last few years, the combination of excess capacity, too much money, all those things, at least coming out of this crisis, the demand and supply balance is much, much better. And I think that actually gives a firm foundation for, for the industry to recover. Um, now, you mentioned, you mentioned some of the day-to-day -day problems clearly you're having with um, crews on board and mental health issues, all the, all the issues that being at sea, the stresses must bring. Um, what do you think the other challenges are for you and um, other owners and operators as you transition towards this uh, greener future? 
Well, I think there's a lot we can do now, and there's two opportunities I can see. Uh, the first is that ship owners and operators can put in place performance management measures to deliver significant emissions reductions today, and also actually cost, uh, cost reductions too. So things like uh, technologies such as air lubrication, flattener rotors, weather routing, uh, we found that they can deliver around about a 20% reduction in emissions and costs too. And using latest vessel designs, efficiency measures, uh, we're showing about a 40% reduction against the 2008 baseline. So certainly a lot we can do now which will help uh, the industry. The second area is using LNG. LNG as a fuel, particularly when combined with those latest energy efficient technologies. And this can afford, uh, result in significant emission savings today. Independent studies have shown that you can get a 21% well-to-wake savings, and certainly on our fleet of ships, we're seeing about a 30% reduction. So when you combine that with the new technologies, we could be achieving something like about maybe a 70% reduction in carbon intensity against the 2008 baseline. So leaving just 30% net carbon emissions. If we can then adapt carbon capture and storage for marine use, even greater decarbonization is possible. And in the longer term, we're also looking at how we can adapt LNG fueled ships and convert them for zero carbon fuels such as ammonia and methanol. Now, what we've got to also understand is that the new fuels will take some while to realistically put in place. And at the moment, LNG is the only lower carbon solution that's available and affordable. And I believe we should do the best we can now, whilst at the same time, we're working on these new fuels and challenges that they bring. And certainly at Shell, we're very confident about LNG, um, confident in terms of the infrastructure, which is developing fast. And we've been investing in growing our chartered LNG fleet, uh, most recently with 10 LNG fueled Aframaxes and also four product tankers. So. Um, I, I think there's a lot we can do now, and we must do now, whilst we develop these new technologies. Yes, I think we're, we're financing some of those ships you're chartering, actually. You the, are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the, um, a couple of, couple of things you raised I'd like to ask you. Um, one is, in, in, uh, if something like wind is giving you even quite a small saving, but a, but a noticeable saving, do you think do you think rotor uh, flattener or other types of rotors will appear on every ship because it's adding something? Um, and second question is the methane slip is always talked about SARS LNG shipping, but generally about LNG, but particularly in the shipping context. And I think DNV have said that, you know, they expect that to be solved. What, what's your view on both of those things? Should every ship in the end have some sort of wind assistance? Mm. Well, at the moment, Michael, we, we don't have any wind assistance on our conventional ships. And if you look at the hull, if you look at um, other aspects, uh, there's only so much you can get out of the system. So weather is a, is a new system that we can tap into. Uh, the, the, and of course, wind is a key part of that. Um, I think that it, they could well appear on ships, uh, as you say, not just Fletner rotors, but other wind technology, relatively simple, straightforward to install, uh, to operate. And um, as I say, you don't have to put uh, particularly exotic systems in place to get a good, a good payback. 
In terms of methane slip, yeah, I agree with uh, the DNV work that um, that is being solved. And um, they're working hard on that in terms of the slip across the engines and certainly in the manufacture and production of, uh, of conventional fuels. Again, a lot of work going in there. So we're uh, improving all the time. And we started um, about a month ago, whilst we were still able to fly, we started the first uh, strategy session and group of the Getting to Zero Coalition, which Shell and City are both uh, strategic partners in. Yeah. And what was interesting, and, and I've met, worked, met and worked with a number of your colleagues there, what, what was interesting was this sense that we're moving towards emissions in the whole supply chain. So that because of the way in which technology is making emissions available on, on almost a live basis, so consumers as well as uh, as well as manufacturers right the whole of the supply chain from factory to consumer is going to be available the data on emissions in some sense and clearly those for those products which use the maritime supply chain the emissions from shipping clearly going to be important but actually what society will want is to see every part of the supply chain reducing its emissions and so you'll have a sort of score that we everyone starts with presuming everyone accepts the data is reasonable and then everything people do and i suppose this is part of also the targets you have as a company your senior management has set to lower lower emissions overall in the system yes indeed and now what we have we have it displayed on our our wall a digital wall uh, we can track all of those emissions uh, on, on all of the ships, whether they're managed or chartered. So we've got a very good insight on, online and real time on those emissions and using some of these technologies and other techniques that I talked about, um, we can start to, uh, in real time, manage those emissions down. Yeah. So um, maybe, maybe moving on, um, Michael, um, what, what, are your, what are your other thoughts? Um, I know one thing that we are looking at is um, where the challenges are for the owners and operators as they transition towards a low carbon future. Um, and what I would say is that those challenges relate to developing the technologies and the fuels. And this is gonna require what I see is five key areas. Firstly, real collaboration between the policymakers, industry groups and industry leaders and collaboration on a scale that we've never been seen before. Um, secondly, supporting policy frameworks um, put in place um, so that um, we can manage the competition and ensure there's a level playing field. Thirdly, um, the important subject of safety. Uh, these new fuels come with varying levels of operational hazards. And what we've got to remember is it's taken 50 years for us to get a safe operational LNG fleet in place. Now, I don't think it's gonna take that for the new technologies, but we can't overlook the importance of operational experience. Fourth is sustainability. We'll be competing for these uh, new fuels with other industries, and if we're gonna divert fuels from other industries in the name of greenhouse gas emissions reductions, we must make sure those other industries can access the sustainable alternatives such as biofuels. And finally, commercial viability. Currently, the production costs of these new fuels are estimated at two to three times the hydrocarbon-based equivalent uh, if you take ammonia um, to green ammonia. 
So what's your perspective on this, Michael, and especially around this sort of increased costs and financing and capital? Well, I, I think, I mean, my view hasn't changed, even if um, your company and my company are worth a lot less than they were a month ago, because that will, I'm sure, bounce back. Um, <laughs> I think I agree totally with you on collaboration. and I think that um, that is essential. Uh, I feel that the part of identifying where the emissions are coming from is part of outing, if you like, the, the hidden offenders or people for whom society has not really seen them as, as, as environmentally um, responsible, if you like, and the tech companies are clearly big people and, and they realize that. I think I saw somewhere that the tech companies' emissions um, by 2030 would represent 14% of all CO2 emissions. And I think they're very conscious of that and, and they clearly are very well capitalized. And I think the solutions, many of the solutions we're seeing broadly in society and in industry, the industrial world are you know, coming from the digital revolution. So I think that the way in which new industries and mature industries, in which um, obviously your company is one of the longer mature industries, I think the marriage of those two is going to be very important. Because also you will be transitioning from the fuels you produce today to new fuels. I, you know, that's a clearly part of yeah. ambitions of Shell and, and some of your other competitors. I think the financial markets, I think the capital markets clearly, and I'll come back to that, and, and the banking system. Now, we're, we're helping get through this current crisis. But again, I, th I think that the pressure on banks from our regulators, which come from politicians, come from shareholders, are such that this is going to be the number one thing. Now, maybe the virus obviously comes first because we don't want to repeat of this situation. But I think dealing with climate change uh, in a way that is sustainable is very important. And I think what that means is that the cost has to end up with everyone. And the acceptability of that to the end consumer is very, very important. The problem with the shipping industry is that it's absorbed far too many costs in the middle. This is where sometimes companies like yours can be a little bit schizophrenic um, because your, your user as well as a, as, as, a, as a shipping company, as it were. So I think, I think the acceptance by the end consumer is very important. And I think there needs to be more education around that. But I think that will come from, as I said, the transparency that will come from the emissions in the overall supply chain. So the manufacturers can't hide behind their clean product when actually moving that product from A to B actually causes all sorts of emissions and not just shipping people people need to associate trucking um, trains and all other forms of transport in the logistic chain and those emissions with the end product and i think that will also help shipping to um, show what it is doing to reduce those emissions but where, why i think that matters is it then gets into what the uh, what investors are looking for. What, what is it that the capital markets, the equity and debt markets, the, the money that is invested in all the pension funds, they will be the big long-term capital providers for this transition and this change. And I think what they need is, they need a, they need a currency, which is, if you like, the, the, the emission metrics. They need to understand those. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding, but I think that will gradually disappear. They need high standards or clarity around standards. So to understand what is truly green and not green. Um, uh, and so a lot of the greenwashing that's happened before will sort of disappear. 
And I think markets will move into this, something is either green, something is sustainable, or something is in transition. And if it's not one of those three, if you can't label it in one of those three things, then it's probably something which will uh, cost a premium, if you like, a capital raising associated with it will either not get the discount or attract a premium. And I think it'll be that shift of funding directed by investors and regulators. And of course, although it's the cost, you raised an important point about the cost, I think as long as the cost is spread out throughout society in a way that the consumer is happy to pay for it, it will happen. The question, of course, is making sure, and this is obviously what the UN is concerned about, that certain smaller communities, uh, island states, the long distance on the trade routes, you know, don't, don't suffer from those sort of changes. And I think that's where the UN, as the UN itself and the climate action week they had last September together with what the IMO can do as a UN body can help actually shipping sort of be part of that transition so I think shipping has to get away from this historic fear of having to absorb the cost of everything and that I think will come through the transparency and it'll come from investors investing in that transition and I think things that your company is doing and others will attract that investment because it's very much seen to be creating the sort of certainly lower emission. What we have to make sure is people understand that lower emissions en route to zero emission is part of that transition and, and therefore also needs to be rewarded and respected and invested in. It's, it's getting down to zero at some point. And as, as the great Martin Stopford often tells us, reminds us, steam and sail overlapped together for at least 50 years so in that context i'm sure you will be supplying lng to a large part of the world fleet as these zero emission fuels are coming in but they'll be coming in i think also with infrastructure and standards that will be learning all the lessons that you have provided from the lng infrastructure and prior to that the the the, the other sort of infrastructure that all the oil companies invested mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's the sheer scale of this infrastructure and the supply chains that you mentioned, uh, which is, is going to take decades to, to build up. Um, and it's crucial that everyone works together to develop, test, trial and deploy these technologies. Um, and it's, um, it's, it's quite interesting that all of these new fuels have got shortcomings. So things like onboard storage, energy density, and also, of course, they cost two to three times more than the conventional fuels. So it's not just simply a matter of just switching fuel. And I suppose the, the question I, I, in my mind is, who do you think should lead the decarbonization of shipping and um, what role should actually individual companies play? I, I think we all we all have to do it. I know that's easy to say and it's, it's um, uh, and, and, and uh, the Getting to Zero Coalition is, is part of that, but in the end, everyone can say, I'm a member of this coalition and do nothing. I think what is important is that the people who have the resources show what they can do. And I think that's where companies like your company, um, other companies in the maritime ecosystem, whether it's developing engines, other types of equipment, I think have to work together. And I think one of the things that, that um, you know, I've been told is that within shipping, too much has been sequential. Party A waits for party B to make a decision before it makes the investment. And so I think what we have to do is to 
bring everyone together, but the key players in that to actually move forward at, at one go uh, and, and get the funding to do that. And I think as we've seen with wind power, offshore wind power in the North Sea, we've seen how a combination of subsidy and contracts and, and underpinning a commercial base uh, will help to do that. I think try, I think the existing pilots, methanol you mentioned earlier, Graham, I think where there are existing pilots, I think um, to show what can be done, I think there should be more of that. And I think mm -hmm. shipping needs to highlight those to show what can be achieved, not to go for one solution. I think at this point, we've talked about zero emission vessels needed by 2030 in order to meet the 2050, 50% emissions thing. And we know, we both know that will come down. But I think what's very important is people see all the different options and invest in those ones that clearly people feel have a chance of being one of the solutions because we don't have to go for one solution. Uh, there could be a number of different alternatives that um, make sense, particularly, I suppose, for different types of, of, of shipping like uh, coastal shipping or, or stuff that may actually end up being automated and stuff. And I think that's where um, no one can hide from this. And I, I think that's another important thing that I sort of feel from conversations that we both probably heard in Singapore, which is um, in October, which is a lot of people think about shipping as the ship. And mm. it, is, it isn't the ship, it is the supply chain. It's the role of the ship in the supply chain. Um, and that's, that's, I think, where sort of ship owners are beginning to understand that actually you are only defensive if you think about the ship. Whereas if you think of your role in that supply chain, suddenly there are huge opportunities for you to realize and potentially add value. And I think this is one of them. So investing in new solutions, I, I, think, I think a number of the members of the Getting to Zero Coalition, you know, maybe have vessels they could, they could trial some of these existing fuels on that can be retrofitted into existing engines and, and see what happens. And I think rather than waiting for some magic thing to happen, I think the more and more things that do happen and I think what will happen is that's where the money will flow to so but but I, I'm afraid as in many things it either is a geek with a computer who ends up being the richest man in the world and he invents something totally new or it is the tried and established um, companies like yours like the banks like other big companies that can provide that um, innovation and also provide the financial muscle to make things happen yeah, and we certainly do in Shell see that we, uh, we're we a, a company that will be providing those new fuels and providing, as you say, the leadership uh, using our technical knowledge and uh, project management type skills, et cetera. So certainly see ourselves well part of that. And I totally agree with you that it's not one shipping company. It's right the way across the supply chain, as you say, um, energy suppliers, ports, vessel owners, uh, policy makers, um, etc. And not just um, with our, our own industry, it's going to require right the way across the, um, the supply chain. So aviation, road, rail and heavy industry too. You, may, you mentioned policymakers, Graham. What do, you, what do you think policymakers should do? Um, well, I think there's, there's four areas here. Um, firstly, global mandatory greenhouse gas emissions regulation framework. Um, quite a, a long phrase, but um, it needs to be applied right the way across the fuels, the ship design, the operations. Um, we need a roadmap um, and commercially feasible targets 
to ensure that we get to that 2050 goal. Um, secondly, I think market-based measures across the value chain, stimulating development of low-carbon technologies and drive that energy efficiency. Thirdly, um, the use of high-quality carbon offsets that represent real and verifiable and permanent emission reductions and removals. And fourthly, a strong support for research and development and the deployment of um, pre-commercial low-carbon technologies. Um, what, do you, what do you think about policy, Michael? Well, I think I, 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 my views changed on this literally in the last few months because, uh, you know, pre-virus, so, so we'll have to see, but I, think it, I don't think my mind will change once I get, actually hopefully get back into the office fairly soon. And that is that the pace of change cannot wait for regulators like the IMO. I mean, they have an important responsibility to do things, to set rules, and I'm not suggesting anything else. And as chairman of the Poseidon Principles Association, we've, we've made those principles support the IMO's objective. So we want a global regulator for the industry that, that um, sets good rules. But I do think the pace of change can't wait for them to set those rules. Now, they will, of course, set rules, but I think it's up to practitioners like yourselves, like the big container shipping companies, everyone in, in, in the shipping space, to, to not to set new rules, but, but if you like, to move ahead, not wait for those rules. I, the rules can catch up. Now, of course, you can't, you can't sail your ships in breach of regulations, but where there is no regulation, you don't need to wait for the IMO to come up with it. And I think that's important too, because I think the IMO will also then feel able to maybe regulate more. I think the politics of that regulation may disappear when the politicians see that the market is driving it. You mm. know, when people see, you know, Greta Thunberg has not yet encountered what the shipping industry does and is particularly, or at least I haven't seen or heard her. But, but the point is the politicians who after all, through the UN are the ones who vote on changes and things. I think they will have to respond much more quickly. And so some of the sort of internal issues within the IMO on technical stuff that may, uh, you know, to, to many people like me, may be something I don't really understand and never will, but someone like you probably does. Some of those things I think you should be willing to push further. I think it's quite important we don't wait for regulators. At the same time as other regulators, as, as I mentioned on, bank regulators than the whole task force for climate related disclosure. That's, I think, an important thing because the banks are as, as important to society, which is why we were rescued, if you like, 10 years ago and are still here, is that we also reflect in what we do, what society wants us to do. And I think it's that pace of change which has got faster. Now, before the virus, I was beginning to feel that shipping had a huge advantage if it, if it had stood up and explained what it did, where aviation, because of really its inability to deal with the technology, doesn't have the technology at the moment, that, that actually this was shipping's great advantage. Of course, a virus comes along and, and the mm -hmm. aviation industry is laid low. And the shipping industry, apart from the cruise sector, is doing, is doing just fine. So I, I think things come along and surprise us from the side, and that can be to our benefit. I remember a Lloyd's List editorial, um, the two, two days after 9-11, which said, you know, as the US airspace remains closed, 60,000 ships continue to trade around the world. And I think this is one of the great things about the shipping industry, that uh, 
it, it likes it's, it's like to be unseen when it didn't suit it and, and now it can really show what it can do and I, I have no wish to I wish to get back on planes as soon as I can to to network in person as it were but um, I think we shouldn't wait for regulators uh, who want to hold things back and I'm not saying the IMO do but I, but I, don't, I think people in leading positions in the industry should push for things and stand up and, and argue for things. Mm. Yeah, well, we've just got a couple of minutes left. And uh, I suppose the one thing in my mind is how do we both feel about the future of shipping? You know, are we optimistic? Um, do you believe that shipping can meet the challenges ahead? I do, but I think it, it'll have to change in the process. And, and, and I think one, one of the things we see is you, size is not everything, but I think size will become important from a financial perspective, because I think investors, this, as you mentioned, this is going to be expensive. The future of shipping is going to be expensive. The, the investment you're going to be make as a company in fuels, mm -hmm. the changes to ship a building are going to be expensive. And I think there will be an inevitable lead to having to create bigger companies uh, who will need to attract their capital. And that will mean that the um, quality, the financial, the financial strength of those companies in order to attract and continue to invest will be important. But I think it's telling the story. And I think that is the thing which I've always wanted as, as a banker for decades in shipping to tell the story. And I think the story for shipping has never been better, never been better. Uh, because it actually, it, it, what we're going through as a society shows the importance of trade and how trade is carried throughout the world. Um, and people want that done efficiently. They want it done cleanly. And the shipping industry should stand up and, and relish that challenge, working with other people and not hide away from it because it's frightened that it will have to mm. cover the cost of it. What, what do you think? Yeah, I'm very optimistic about shipping's future. And in fact, what, what I, I look at is, is just some of the things we have achieved. And, and one of them is actually around safety. And, you know, that's uh, an area that uh, I'm passionate about and uh, have been leading um, in the shipping industry around. But when I see what has been achieved over the years um, in terms of the improvement in safety on ships, uh, Certainly in Shell, we've improved our safety performance um, on actual and potential incidents by, uh, by a factor of six in the last eight years. And lots of other companies have done likewise. And if you look at that, it's got a lot of very big similarities. Um, things like working together, collaborating right the way across the industry, yeah. putting in new, new technology, new thinking, um, and I, I look at that and I'm very proud of what's been, what's been done. And of course, we're doing even more work on that with Together in Safety. And I look at that and I think, yeah, I think we can do this in decarbonization because we've done it in safety and it's got many, many similarities. As we know, shipping is vital to world trade and making these um, sustainable changes, I think, is hugely important and everyone understands that. And of course, we're seeing that as we sit here today with the vital role that shipping uh, is playing in, uh, in getting the fuel and getting the food to everybody. So uh, I am very, very optimistic. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, thank you. Always good to talk to you. Yeah. Um, very much enjoyed it. Um, any well, closing comments from you? Well, we should hopefully see each other probably in London soon. Um, hopefully. Yeah get to Singapore at some point but um, yeah. good chatting and good for Capital Link to 
to, uh, well, I mean, City is a co-sponsor of this particular conference that we're doing virtually. So thank you for joining yeah. me in conversation. And, um, and uh, I'm finding working from home quite stressful. Actually, because I can't, getting up and wandering around the office, talking to people is, is part of the day and getting my 10,000 steps done. So I'm having to make a special effort to get on my treadmill morning and night to... Uh, to, to not um, not not look even worse um, in person as I may do on the screen at the moment. So, have a good evening and uh, thank you thank you for the conversation, Graham, and thank you to Capital Link for asking us to do this. Thank you, thank you, Michael. Thanks, Graham. Bye. Take care. Bye.